there, and welcome to the Prickly Things Podcast, the show where we are open and honest about everyday life in hopes to empower, motivate, and inspire you. So listen close, because we all love a good story. Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to our DACA series here on the Prickly Things Podcast. I am your host, Sandra Camacho, and I am so excited to have you join me again, once again, on another DACA episode. If you're listening to my show for the first time, welcome. I invite you to subscribe to the show and follow me on Instagram at the Prickly Things Podcast to find more content and behind-the-scenes pictures and videos from our awesome guests. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming on an awesome guest all the way from Virginia, currently uh, staying in Easton, Pennsylvania, I would like to introduce you all to Flor Selena Cáceres. Hi, Sandra. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Flor. Welcome aboard. Uh, how are you doing? No, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. A little anxious that the school year is about to start. Oh. I'm happy, but then at the same like time, really, really worried. But I know. it's fine. It's fine. Let me just enjoy August as much as I can because yeah. you know, it'd it be hot girl summer out here. So for sure. <laughs> and in Virginia, right? No, I didn't get that right because you're in Easton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, you know, my family it is living in Arlington, Virginia. Um, you know, we're close to Georgetown University. So like I would say, like maybe just crossing the bridge, we're in DC. Um, but yeah, no, right now, like this whole summer, I've been staying at my college campus. So I'm coming to you live from my college dorm, Lafayette College. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Lafayette College and dorm life. Dude, dorm life is freaking awesome. Uh, I can say so myself, given that I spent four years, my whole four years from college, I spent in a dorm. And it could have been the best thing. It could have been the worst thing I could have ever done <laughs> because it's hard. Dorm life is hard. And to anyone out there going back to college, going back to a dorm room, like, hey, I hope you guys are safe and I hope it's a great year. And, and unfortunately, last year, a lot of them in the dorms got sent back to their home, like a lot of universities because of COVID shut down. And a lot of people that I mean, if you live in a dorm you're away from home like that's already a given and a lot of people maybe like they're in town but they still stay at a dorm um my sister was from out of state living in the dorm and unfortunately they sent her back I mean they the saddest thing was that they didn't care if you could go back home if there was a way for you to go back home they just said we're shutting it down I need you guys out by two weeks and it was like panic mode everywhere was it the same for you no, actually, Lafayette College, thankfully, had taken its time to um, fully assess the whole situation. And like, obviously, students went home for a spring break. But there was obviously that that mindset that the college already had of like, if you have an extenuating circumstance, please stay on campus. Please let us know. Um, for me, it was like a financial extenuating circumstance back in like with my family. And so I decided to stay on campus and keep one of my campus jobs. And they were just phenomenal, like Lafayette like really pulled up um, and supported a lot of its students who were staying on campus, especially those who were international students. Um, and they couldn't go home because flights were canceled. Like I had my roommate who was freaking out. She's like, when am I supposed to go home if like flights to Mongolia from the US are like blocked and banned? I'm like, I'm still here, <laughs> I'm surprised. Um, and so we had to make it by and like the college also, um, provided us with grocery stipends over the summer because they knew that we weren't able to work. Yeah, so they really pulled out, like really pulled up, like in in a really magnificent way. And then um, on top of that, like 
one of my campus jobs was to um, work with the Office of Intercultural Development. I'm, I was already like a student ally through them, but basically um, through the, the OID office and then with my position as an equity and inclusion member from um, student government uh, for, for my committee, we promoted our food pantry that we created in the fall, actually, that it was meant for breaks for international students who were staying during the breaks. But because of the whole pandemic, a lot of professors, faculty and staff came together and donated as much as possible, like whatever be snacks, Korean ramen, Cliff Bars. I'm like, that's bougie, but thank you. I love Cliff Bars. Yeah. Oh, wow. And personal hygiene products too. Um, and we also had, for example, over the summer, dining halls were not open. And the dining halls were, were open when we were staying here, actually one or two of them. Um, but then like over the summer when they closed down, what happened was like we were still getting donations from like faculty and staff for like personal hygiene products, like pads, tampons, shampoo, and also like non-perishable food items. But then also we had our local farm, the farm, um, what is it? They, they, they still wanted to bring in like a group of like six students to help out with like farming over the summer. And so they, they provided us with our weekly vegetables and fruits on campus as well. So it was, it's been really phenomenal how everyone came together actually. Um, it sounds like it has to be like a whole crisis for people to come together. But regardless, like Lafayette as an institution may have its flaws. But I'm thankful for what they did here, at least, without us having to ask for much. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, much of just safety, you know, like, don't send me home. Because like I said, the the biggest worry was like, how am I going to get home where I need to be safe? And yeah, the way that different institutions handle their own crisis agenda, like it's different and it works. I mean, I'm glad that you guys had so many resources cliff bars and everything available to you guys that's great that your community came in and and they they really came through for you guys because I know how hard that would have been for people like my sister who literally were left with like I need you out in two weeks and my sister was like where am I gonna go so it was it was really hard it was a really hard experience and again when you're talking about like we're a little anxious too that the semester's starting over again it's august she's gonna be back in school in less than two weeks back at the dorm and we're just like holding our breath praying and crossing fingers that it doesn't happen again because it's looking like it's getting pretty serious out there with the variant and with everything going on it's it's madness unfortunately it is it is that's why what is it you know i hope like you know we have like in plan to do everything in person here at Lafayette, like a lot of our programming. But the thing is, they, they've done it by phases, like to make sure that you're an operational three or operation, operational level one, to make sure that like, you know, if we pass like a certain number of cases and like the school goes on like a little lockdown mode to make sure everything is okay. And that happens for like a one or two weeks. So like mediation plan. And I'm like, that's smart. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah, that's really um, good. I'm glad they're doing it that way and that they're taking it serious and that they're supporting you guys and your safety. And that's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. And uh, doing a little bit of a transition here because I'm so curious about your name. Uh, as I was saying, like it rolled off so awesome, like Flor Selena Casares. And I wanted to ask, uh, what is the meaning behind your name? I, I, has your parents ever told you what your name meant or means? Of course, yeah, I've asked him numerous times and my dad keeps referencing it to me. Um, but yeah, my full name is Flor de Maria Selena Cáceres Godoy. 
Um, <laughs> the, the girl with the longest name in my class year, apparently. <laughs> but um, what like had come of the name is that my mom and my grandmother used to like take care of this little girl back in Guatemala where we're from. And her name was Flor de Maria. And so my dad, my mom fell in love with the name. So she, she promised herself that like one of these days she would name one of her girls Flor de Maria. And then as for my dad, he loves his singers. So because he was a big Selena Quintanilla fan, he wanted, you know, a little girl named Selena. Um, and then my sister, her name is Thalia. So it tells you all about what, what he loves. <laughs> what he loves, yeah. But it, it's a constant competition because I'm like, Thalia, who did he name Selena first? Who does he reference more? And she's like, Thalia. And I'm like, nope, it's Selena. It's Selena. But yeah, my dad and my mom weren't willing to compromise one name or, over the other. So they decided to put it together. And that's how I came to be. Flor de Maria Selena, and then Cáceres Godoy just comes from both of them. So, like, you know, in Latinx, like, or Latin America, like, we have two last names. So it's Cáceres Godoy, um, and, you know, Cáceres comes from my dad, and Godoy comes from my mom. So Yeah, yeah. that is a really awesome story. Thank you for sharing, because I'm always wondering, like, names, right? Like, names are so significant. And you and I share that in common. My mom also took care of a little girl. Uh, She must have been younger when she, you know, back in her youth. And she took care of a little girl named Sandra. And she loved her name and promised to one day call her daughter that. And here I am. But, you know, we've talked about my name. I had another guest who also came in, and I almost had her name. And it was funny because my dad was trying to name me after one of his ex-girlfriends. And it's like, no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, names are so significant. And a little bit of that story like goes a long way, like knowing a little bit more about you and, and your family. Six names. I think I counted six names altogether. No, it's five. Five? It's five. Okay. Yeah. I think Flor and then the Maria. I counted that twice, like for two. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So five names. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, have you always like gone through school with your five names? Because I feel like that's the hardest thing. Usually they cut you off like first name, last name. Yeah. How did you handle that? About the American system that they like to hyphenate last names because they don't believe in the two last name system. And I'm like, no, 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 there's no hyphen. There is no hyphen. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Because also like my legal documents, like my passport, or like my work permit, I'm just like, no, it has to have like an actual like Cassidy's Beloit, or like the accent marks as well. But the school system doesn't believe that. So <laughs> that's on them. Um, but yeah, it's always been Flor de Maria, Cassidy's Beloit. Like Selena always counts as like my middle name. So it never makes a cut. So no one ever hears me call myself Selena. It's mainly like my family. That's it. Um, but it's fine. It's fine. I, I think there's like some sort of uniqueness to that. And I really love it. Um, and, that, and I find it so funny whenever like, you know, I've gotten um, packages before that were addressed to Selena Casades here on campus. And the people at the post office would be like, is this you? Are you sure? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, my legal documents say this. It's just the school doesn't doesn't put it on. They're like, oh, okay, just making sure, just making sure. Or like my friends, whenever they're talking to my parents or even teachers, they're like, yeah, Flora is such a nice person. And my parents have to do like the double switch. They're like, oh, that's right. That's my daughter. That's my daughter. Because <laughs> they never call me like Flora. They always call me Selena. wow that is so that's like having I've always referred to that same thing because I my name is Sandra right and I've always been called Sandy my whole life I mean that's my short little nickname 
but nobody ever calls me that outside of my family. Like even my husband, like he met me as Sandra. And I always like thought to myself, like, it's kind of like I get to be like a Sandy at home and be like Sandy, you know, and I get to be Sandra outside, you know, (laughs) like it's like a double personality thing. I don't know. Can you relate? I can. I can. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been a lot of fun because, what is it? I don't know. I feel like Selena has like this sort of, sort of like family, like tying into this. And I'm like, the only one other person that's going to be calling Selena is probably going to be like my future husband. And I'm like, that's it. Because like, I don't, I don't know, like Flo also like rolls off the tongue like really nice, like whenever I'm with my friends. And it's a name that I've always been gone, like going by at school in the academic setting um but yeah I think there will come a day maybe where like it's in the professional workplace and I'll decide to go by Selena instead of Flo yeah that's at least you have options and I think that's always awesome I think I grew out of Sandy like a long way like time ago and also I think talking about your name right like it's an identifier for you and I wish you know there was a way that we can just choose how our name is said because dude my name has always been said wrong and it's a very common name I don't know if it's the same for you but in the Hispanic culture in our Latin tongue it's Sandra yeah. and like my mom like in Ojala Sandra like that's when I knew I was in trouble but like my my nickname being Sandy Sandy esto Sandy el otro like it's sweet and cute and uh, I love it but then growing up Sandra being something like oh I did something wrong right and then when I went to school the variations of Sandy, Sandy stayed until like I grew out of it, like in high school. And they, you know, they call the attendants and they're like, is there a name that you want to go by? And I didn't want to raise my hand to say, oh, Sandy, please. You know, like I didn't. I was so embarrassed. I was like, <laughs> I can't handle that pressure. So after I took on Sandra, that's when it came interesting because it was like, Sandra, is it Sandra? Sandra, Sandra? <laughs> like, how many variations can there be for like a Sandra? And to this day, people ask me and I don't know how to take it because like, have I been like, would I be any other person? Would you be asking me how to pronounce my name? Which I care. I mean, I guess I care and I should be grateful that they're, you know, wanting me to like wanting to know how I want my name to be pronounced. But at the same time, I'm like, when do you actually ask like a Michael? Hey, Michael, how do I pronounce your name? Like, yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for a fact. Because like, I know with me, um, I've definitely gotten a lot, a lot of variations for even just Flor. Like, I can't even roll the R for Flor. Like, I have to be like Flor. Hi, my name is Flor. Like, Flora? Florence? No, 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 it is a, it, Flor. Flor, please. And then some people, they're like, Flor, like the ground floor. And I'm like, Okay, so I'm Hispanic. Y'all should know this. I'm wearing a Latina shirt. <laughs> First of all, Flor, where does it come from? What does it stand for? I've gotten comments that are like, I thought you were Middle Eastern. I'm like, it's, how do you? <laughs> okay, cool, cool. I have the most Hispanic name ever, but all right. That's what they told me. That's what they told me. Um, what's it called? And then with Selena, I don't know. I didn't want anyone to pronounce my name like Selena. Like, Selena, yeah. I didn't have to deal with Floor. Um, what's it called? But yeah, I don't want anyone to be naming me Selena because I'm just like, it's Elena Quintanilla. Like I take yeah. part in like, you know, our Latin American culture and having her, you know, be a phenomenal singer um, and just a phenomenal legend and icon. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to butcher her name. <laughs> Well, your name now too. And I, yes. again, there's some sort of pride in how you want your name to be pronounced and how you want people to say it and, and 
taking pride in that really does matter. But when people are asking you and mispronouncing your name all the time, you kind of give in. Like I've given in, like you can call me whatever you want. Um, I will respond to it. You know, like it doesn't matter because at the same time, you're kind of like, I don't know, like I, I said, I give in. And Sandra being so common. I mean, Flor también, like, como la flor, I'm going to start singing. I break in song all the time, so don't mind me. But Flor is also, like, a really beautiful name and very common, I would think. Like, I guess for our Latin community, maybe not so much for our American friends. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. Uh, jumping into what we are talking about today, Flor, I am excited. You have a lot to share with us today on the DACA series. For starters, I do want to go ahead and explain a little bit more behind DACA and why we're here. I've mentioned here on the podcast that I'm a DACA recipient. Um, I know you are too, and I want to go ahead and have you help me kind of share a little bit more about DACA, what it means, what it stands for. Um, maybe a lot of people don't know about it. So would you like to help me explain um, what DACA is? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so obviously DACA, um, it stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and it was passed in a, as an executive action um, through the Obama administration back in June of 2012. Um, and it has been an ongoing battle ever since then when they tried to expand it for parents to have some sort of work permit because that's what DACA allows us to have, a work permit that we can renew every single two years, along with like other benefits like protection from deportation, us being able to work legally, us even able to like have a credit score, things of that nature, or like, you know, sometimes you would be granted advanced parole for humanitarian reasons or educational reasons where you can go to a different country for a certain amount of time and then come back to the U.S. But it doesn't <clears throat> provide a path to citizenship at all or residency. That's the number one mistake that many people like you know, ask me, they're like, wait, doesn't DACA allow you to become a citizen? I'm like, you're funny. <laughs> no, I wish, but that's not how it works. And it was only granted to a, a certain number of individuals that like, it was a baby step in the right direction, but it was not the stride that we wanted. But yeah, with DACA, like it's, it's not a pathway for undocumented students or, you know, recipients, my bad. Um, overall, like, yeah, it has helped us out, but it has also you know, been of a huge obstacle because, you know, maybe there is a job that we want to apply to, but they're like, you have to be a U.S. citizen or resident. And I'm like, okay, well, next, <laughs> thank you. Um, or like, uh, you know, even just right now with everything that's been happening in these last four to five years, it's always been a constant battle with the Supreme Court of the United States and just different federal district judges from different states wanting to um, question its constitutionality and whether or not it should be terminated. Right now it's been put on pause. It's just a stressful factor overall that we don't need. We need an actual legislation or an actual policy that should have gone through with Congress from the get-go um, that not, would have, not only would have benefited like certain undocumented youth, but also other older generations, such as my parents who have been here longer than I have a little yes. bit. Yeah. So, that's only that, that's a little rundown of what DACA actually is. And a great rundown at that because you're talking about the pain points, not only like the great awesome aspect of DACA and how awesome it is and providing us that protection and giving us that like 
little opportunity. And I say little because a lot of the opportunities are big that we get with DACA, but it's still a lot more that we need. And DACA is not enough. It has not been enough since nine years ago when it just got introduced. And it's it's a hard reality to come by like nine years later when you're an adult, because a lot of us, and I don't know how old you were when you got DACA, like I was 16. I didn't know what DACA was going to do to my life. Like I didn't know I was going to need it to survive, to have a job, to hold it down, like later on down in life. And now as an adult, like I am in crisis mode anytime I need to renew my DACA. Cause I'm like, my life depends on this. Like, please, please, please. Like, it's just so hard to explain how much we depend on it and how much we need it and how much we need a pathway to a stability, something like a residency, citizenship, like we need that yesterday. So thank you for sharing a little bit more on that. And today's episode is a little bit different from the previous episodes that we've had here on the on the on the Frankly Things podcast, because when you and I talked, we discussed a little bit more on not only the pain points of being a DACA recipient, but also kind of like the misconceptions of being a DACA recipient. And I was super excited that you have, you know, not only the experience, but the willingness to share a little bit more about that because it's a hard conversation to have most of the times. Um, And you as a social media, would I say influencer? Because <laughs> you're big, you're making it out there on social media. <laughs> you are, I'm telling you, like, you're out there on TikTok. Like, I see you, like, I'm just so, like, in awe when I see everyone, like, a lot of my guests um, that I feature, they have a huge platform talking about DACA, talking about these issues, and the work that goes into it, the whole, like, uh, content creating, everything of that sort is just like, I applaud you for it right now. Like, hey, you're doing awesome. You're great. Because it's putting it out there. And um, I think in your experience being out there for a while, you've encountered so many things left and right, comments, uh, messages, uh, I don't know, DMs, things coming your way, good and bad about DACA. And I would love to share a little bit more on that. Today's topic is the misconceptions of being a DACA recipient. And um, I'm super excited to have you on to share a little bit more about this. First of all, I wanted to ask, why were you so passionate about this specifically? About immigrant rights in general or like? About the misconceptions. Because I feel like a lot of people like myself, like I wouldn't even know how to bring this up like in a conversation. That's valid. I think I've had the the privilege enough to um, be able to educate myself on my own experience um as well as like different immigrant experiences too but I think me as a film major and also anthropology and sociology here at Lafayette College um has really taught me to look at it from like a third person perspective of like yeah we are activists yeah we are fighting for you know a path to citizenship but then where does that leave everyone else what does this word of like citizenship really entail because it's always putting one group over the other, you know, always like creating those barriers in the caste system. You know, whenever you hear of DACA recipients, you always think of like Latin American students, straight A students, people who want to be doctors or lawyers. The only thing true about me is I'm a Latin American student. That's it. (laughs) Everything else, I never want to be a lawyer. I never want to be a doctor. Props to those who are though. But like, I, I, I just, I, I never, I never really liked that, that part of like learning the law, the policies, 
um, or being a STEM major, I'm like, I could never, bless your soul, but I could never, um, but aside from that, I'm like, I was never a straight A student, I try to be, couldn't do it, couldn't be me, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying, like, this whole thing of, like, also being a film major, like, there's that media platform that broadcasts news, like, Univision, or, like, even just regular, like, what is it, MNSBC, I don't know how to pronounce their, their name, but but other news outlets too, like Washington Post or, you know, like other things like New York Times, they're always wanting the best story out there and with the most trauma, it's like trauma porn. I'm like, you got to stop this. You got to stop this because a DACA recipient is just a regular student, a regular, you know, undocumented youth um, that has to face similar struggles in different ways. Um, and on top of that, like, even the word dreamer, I know I briefly spoke to you about this, that like, I find that very controversial, if I'm gonna be honest, I used to use the word dreamer a lot more because so many people were familiarized with it through the media. But because of the media, and it's willing to exaggerate so much about the immigrant experience, I'm like, it has overshadowed so many different immigrant, you know, lives, such as my parents, who are the original dreamers too. It, just because they're not in school, and just because they didn't graduate from like, you know, a college or university here doesn't mean they're any less than. So again, it prompts that word of like citizenship. What does it mean to have citizenship? And to us, you know, maybe for me as a Latina, brown Latina, it may be like, oh yeah, like citizenship grants me so many more benefits, but also this country is a mess. If you think about it, Sandra, like citizenship to me is not going to mean the same thing to someone who's a black student, you know, who's a black American, because the word citizen to them has been thrown their way, but yet they have been treated less than human, right? And so all these mis misconceptions tie into race, you know, gender, um, all these different norms that like this US society has like prompted us to think about even more deeply about ourselves or like try to identify or categorize ourselves in it. So that's why I'm saying like, we gotta be mindful of the word that we use, you know, like dreamer or, you know, just undocumented also because you know, obviously, like, DACA recipients are still technically undocumented yeah, because there is no sure. legal path to citizenship, but it doesn't mean we should neglect the fact that, like, we have that privilege, we have that right, the others don't. But again, it goes back to the government, too. And I'm like, why are you creating this division? Why why are you dividing us up? Like, that's that's not it. Just because one student or one person is an undocumented student and they want to go off to college doesn't mean their parents don't deserve a path to citizenship either. So there's just a lot of misconceptions that like the media portrays that the government emphasizes, but then we as an immigrant community also tend to use to divide ourselves. Um, and, you know, I've gotten comments, you know, whenever I posted that TikTok, they're like, shouldn't you be grateful to have that? And I'm like, yeah, I am, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna stop fighting as an activist. Like, that's not me. It, you should not comment if you don't know who I am, <laughs> first of all, or like what I do, you shouldn't. And just because of one video, it goes to say a lot, like it can be twisted in so many ways or interpreted in so many different ways and as a film major I also experienced that like it's very interesting it's very interesting because art can be interpreted art can be interpreted in everything so is up to interpretation like every single thing and it's like the way that I intended to go out is different from what people are going to you know understand it and what people see but you're only responsible for what you're putting out there you go to people get out of it like that's beyond your control so I definitely understand that and it's scary like scary when you come out and you're talking about all these things first of all controversial like a lot of the things that we're talking about can be very controversial like the word dreamers 
I had not taken the time to sit back and like to sit back and like like analyze and really think on the word dreamer which you know coincidentally this has been maybe the second or third time that I've heard people say hey I don't refer to myself as a dreamer I don't like the connotation behind it and I'm like I respect that but I've never really like asked why right because it's a very touchy subject that I was like I don't know if I'm ready for that so coming with you I was like okay girl let's do this let's talk (laughs) about this tell me everything because a lot of the times I don't have the knowledge or like you said because of your experiences in film and media and everything that you've learned, you've realized and you've gotten this lens. And I think life in general, we see it in lenses. Like you have a lens, a filter. This, whatever you see on media, that's what you're going to believe in. Whatever you see, that's going to be your culture. Whatever you relate to the most, that speaks to you and your identity. Coming into this platform as DACA recipients, you're talking about possibly having us have a... (laughs) identity crisis kind of outlining who we are. Not only are we undocumented, not only are we quote unquote dreamers, DACA recipients, non-DACA recipients, TPS, like there's so many categories. There's so many labels. There's so many uh, color skins just because an Asian person is Asian. uh, That doesn't mean that they can or cannot be uh, DACA recipients, right? Because there's that first misconception and I've had it told to me so many times where they think that all DACA recipients are mostly Mexicans, like only Mexicans or from Latin America. A lot of people forget Latin America. They just shoot out straight up Mexico. Like everyone who's in the DACA program is from Mexico. And like, I feel like that's the first most important like uh, misconception of being a DACA recipient. Do you agree? Yes, no, for a fact. I know we've spoken about it with my oldest brother, um, Jose, who's also in Texas. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, Jose, wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's it called? Yeah, no, even just coming here to Lafayette College, knowing that like there wasn't a Central American population here, um, you know, and that it, the usual conception is like immigration is a Mexican issue. I'm like, nah, yeah, no. <laughs> and then on top of that, it's a, it's a white Mexican issue. And I'm like, mm, let's talk about this. Let's unpack this. Because no one talks about, like, Central Americans. Um, no one talks about Black migrants, you know. Because um, there are Black DACA recipients who aren't from Latin America. Or, for example, when you talk about the situations we, with Haiti and Cameroon, of, like, a lot of people being deported, no one no one lifts a finger, even within our own Latin American immigrant community. Um, and it's because of like our own anti-blackness within our own, you know, cultural setting that we have to acknowledge. And that's why I'm like, I'm a big believer of like, you can't be treating anyone <laughs> like this. You, you, like if you see someone struggling and in a similar position as you, you, you work together. You work together and establish a solidarity. You don't just leave them behind. Because I've seen that like, what, what's it called? Be, people being insensitive to my issues I'm like I don't want to be the same way to like someone else who who is probably in a worse condition or like you know has been having like similar issues as me but I haven't been able to help them um and it's just that individualistic mindset overall as a U.S. like I've been seeing that in the United States there's like that whole individual mindset that like it's it's only your happiness your freedom that you should care about you shouldn't be working with other people and the government does it so efficiently of like dividing up and conquering people like I'm like this is this is whack <laughs> y'all are whack for this but you know it gets the better of us unfortunately and people start you know saying no I only care about my group I only care about my rights and I'm like that's hurtful that's hurtful because you know that I've been fighting for your rights too 
I'm expect, like expecting that same solidarity back, you know, because I've been willing to stand with you and for you. Why not do the same? So. Yeah. And uh, in the rise of everything happening in the last four or five years, like now I understand the word dreamer being so, like you mentioned, a controversial topic because the roots of the word dreamer is from the Dream Act, which we're talking about the Dream Act coming into like play maybe 20 20 years ago when people yeah. were thinking about like a uh, pathway to citizenships, what can we offer these undocumented youth and where do we stand with this? And coming into now, like you mentioned, not only our parents being dreamers, not only, I mean, we're talking about generations behind us. Like we're only uh, DACA recipients, but people before this, like imagine DACA was only nine years ago. There was nothing before this. So generations before us, having the same issues that we are having now and nothing being resolved, but now coming into uh, being an undocumented child, an undocumented youth, uh, putting the label on it, making it seem like this is a category which DACA recipients will be eligible to obtain this, right? You have to fit a certain mold. Let's talk about that mold and unpack it because as you mentioned, media portrays DACA recipients slash dreamers um, in a way that is not encompassing everyone. And you were really, really, um, strong, uh, or you had really strong opinions about this, um, from your own experience in your own, um, what would I say, like, uh, friendships with other students who are also DACA recipients who have a different experience. So tell me a little bit more about that mold that we're talking about. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess it has always hurt me knowing that, like, for example, my parents who have worked probably harder than I have. All I had to do was go to school or unaccompanied minors who, you know, they face so much trauma back in their home countries on their journey here. And then coming here and then possibly facing like deportation or an immigration case. I'm like, here I am living the best of my life, being an activist, telling my story. And then what is it? Just focusing on my studies when they have to focus on so many financial hardships both you know parents and unaccompanied minors alike I'm like this is a privilege <laughs> this is a privilege that I, I have coming in as a child learning the the language you know only have to, having to focus on my studies no one tends to think about them and it's sad like even you know within our own immigrant rights activist groups like they're like oh you just gotta push forward you gotta push through it and I'm like that's not always the case, though. It's not because if you don't have that same support system as we do right now, like in the circle, like their their level of success is going to be even harder to achieve. You know, the one the success that they want, um, and that's where I also like realize that education is not for everyone either. You know, like my level of success is you know graduating from college, hopefully getting my master's degree in education and things like that, but. That's to make sense of the reality that like a lot of people are doing so much more, so much more outside of the academic setting. Um, and I'm not saying like, you know, life hasn't been tough on me. Like we've, we've been living in surviving mode, crisis mode, like you mentioned earlier on, like every single day. And so many people have different, you know, internal and external issues to resolve. So it's just really sad whenever, you know, one group thinks that they're better than the other. Some people use the fact that like they came in the better way or they came, you know, and, and prove their worth to this country, which I'm like, you don't have to prove their, your worth to anyone. You're a human being. That should be simple. And human beings, this whole idea of mobility, not only like socially wise or economically wise, like geographically wise, physically, like 
you have to be allowed to be moving from border to border. Like that's that's what we do. And that's why I always questioned, like ever since I was little, I'm like, how is it possible that a US citizen can go to my country and come back, but I can't do the same thing? Like it, it just, it was always so ironic and whack to me, so crazy that I'm like, I don't even, it depresses me a little bit. I'm like, this is sad. Um, but this is where, you know, I, I tell people, I'm like, listen, you have to acknowledge your privilege. Like you're able to move to places that I can't. And I have to acknowledge my privilege too, because I'm like, I'm a light-skinned Latina. Like, you know, obviously I'm going to have access to different things that like, you know, a regular Black American won't. Um, you know, it's just all these things. That, but at the same time, it shouldn't put us or pity us like against each other. It shouldn't have said like, you know, okay, so I have this privilege. What can I do with it? to help you get to where you need to be, right? Because I'm happy with my place. <laughs> like, I don't need to move forward. Um, you know, what is it that I can do to support you? So I think that's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a little bit more backtracking on what we had said previously. I think what we had discussed was more on kind of like the dreamer or like the DACA recipient mold oh, yeah. as far as like, uh, you have to be a student, you have to be going to college, yes. you have to be mm-hmm. working, mm-hmm. kind of like the mold that people phrase a DACA recipient to be and how you're kind of breaking that mold where like, no, I'm not this person. So it was a yeah. little bit more about that. So right. we can do it in front of it again. Um, yeah, the DACA recipient, uh, in order to be eligible for DACA, you have to be in school, you have to uh, be here for a certain amount of time, and then you have to be working, I guess. I don't remember. No, not working, yeah, but to renew. To, mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to show that, like, either you're going to be here working or you're going to be going to school, um, which leaves so many people out because, like, it's already tough enough being undocumented and then finding, like, that financial aid to help you go, go into college or, like, even just, you know, staying in school is tough. Um, because also as a DACA recipient, like you want to be able to contribute back to your family expenses, um, whatever it is that they may be. Um, but yeah, with the DACA mold, I'm just like, I'm not a straight A student, but I'll show you my transcripts. Go ahead. I'm a decent student. I can still stay enrolled. Um, and so like, again, like going back to like how the media portrays us, I'm like, first of all, I'm no doctor. I am no doctor. (laughs) I'm a regular art student. Thank you very much humanities arts um, and so that's what I'm saying like this, this again puts us up for like and it's the same thing with like other like visas international student visas like you can only get a visa if you're going to be studying STEM and I'm like are you for real <laughs> um it, it's like yeah I get it we get we need more engineers and and like doctors and whatnot but I'm like who like who are going to be the teachers as well they're going to be educating people like, I want to be, you know, an educator myself. And so that's why I'm like, educators are so underpaid for things that, like, you you are taught to do as an engineer, and yet you get paid a lot more than this person. Like, that's tough. That's tough. I'm like, that's rude. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just those things. And I'm like, people are like, you must be a good student because you have DACA. And I'm like, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I... I I guess. Like your ganas, you know? But in general, I'm like, I'm not a straight A student either. Um, and so, you know, obviously it's already hard enough to get into college. Like 
you know, trying to go into like extracurriculars and things like that. And then coming to college here, you're just finding your own little niche and joining all these things as well that make you an exemplary student. And like with DACA, like if you think about it, a lot of undocumented families come from low income backgrounds. You know, I do. I do too. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't and know if anybody listening also grew up like in a low income family, like join the club, like nothing to be ashamed of. I think it's something that makes us a little bit more relatable. And a lot of things that we have in common come from, you know, who we are and how we grew up. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then also just being first generation. I'm like, you have to add on all these different identity layers that like you need to find your support system for because um, it's tough. It's a tough world out there. And then just knowing that like the scholarship applicant pool is like very small or they ask you to share your story over and over again. I'm like, I'm done. I have a template. Here we go. <laughs> um, yes, tell me about that. Oh my gosh, I could totally relate to. And again, it's finding the story. Like you mentioned, finding when media portrays us in movies. I don't know that there's many movies on DACA recipients. I don't know that I've seen one. I don't know. Um, I've seen one called Underwater Dreams Mm. and I don't know if you've seen it it's from my hometown in Arizona about uh, the robotics team and how some students you know were not documented but they won they competed against MIT and in our Mm. robotics competition oh my god I cry every time I watch that movie because I'm like oh my gosh that could have been me but you know immigration movie always gets me I know Uh, but I mean just the way that we're portrayed in movies again um we're talking about, and, and, and I mean, la- the latest things that I've seen on DACA have been the valedictorians, you know, telling everyone in their valedictorian speech, hey, I'm a dreamer, big secret here, you know, I am, which again, to me, I cried in those speeches too, because I mean, I hear in their voice disclosing this secret for so many years that they've kept it to themselves, and then in coming into an audience and sharing and taking that microphone and, and that opportunity to voice out why this is important but also, like, I would imagine, like, the other side of it, like, if I'm a DACA recipient who's not a valedictorian, if I'm a DACA recipient who's also coming from low-income families that won't be able to go to college, that won't be able to go and further my dream that way, but I have to go to work every day, wake up, go work, you know, in, in very sometimes odd jobs, because even as DACA recipients, we don't have the opportunities. If you don't have the experience, a lot of us maybe don't have office experience that allow you to work at an office job. A lot of DACA recipients still work like in fast food restaurants. Like there is no right way to be a DACA recipient. There is no thing that says, hey, you have to go to college. You have to follow this path. You can follow so many paths. A lot of them become entrepreneurs. They become business owners. But the fact that you didn't go to college or you weren't that um, valedictorian, that you weren't that person doesn't take doesn't make you any less for not being that person if that makes any sense I think I'm looking I'm I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly you are you are it's like what we were talking about it's just it's tough how we're just put against one another and part of it is the media hence why I'm a film major because I want to change all these things up but yeah people don't tend to think about that about the different experiences that people have or like I've gotten questions even about immigration in general but like why can't you just become legal and I'm like aha Uh why didn't I just think about that right it's not like it's been on my mind for like 16 years right (laughs) right um but yeah people are like you know why why isn't it just easy for all of you to become legal and I'm like ask that to the government please please just ask them that and see what answer they give you because I've been asking the same thing myself too um 
Yeah, like what is it? Um, just in general, just in general, it, it's been it's been interesting to say the least. And immigration is a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. So like, Nothing is know. the same for anyone. And I've been told like, oh, I thought you know my sister got a green card, and I'm like, why can't you just get a green card like my sister? <laughs> like, uh, well, uh, excuse me, <laughs> that's offensive. <laughs> yes, no, I've gone that too. They're like, oh, well, you know, like I I heard this person, um, you know, came in the same year as you. Like, why can't you do the same thing? And I'm like, okay, so were they running away from any government persecution? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. I wasn't cool. <laughs> um, you know, it's just so many different factors that people don't tend to think about. And on top of that, I'm just like, okay, what country are they from? And like, they explained to me, like, you know, I can't think of an example right now, but like, they explained to me this situation. Like, I'm like, okay, what, what is the race? And they're like, oh, they're white European. And I'm like, okay, cool cool so that explains it all huh um because i'm just like immigration is also a racist colorist thing too um and it's just sad which is sad that this country has yet to move forward with any actual progress no matter who is in office no matter if they're blue red i don't care no one has done their thing yeah (laughs) we need some purple in there mix blue and red and just get it fixed and get it done um, and as we're talking about the stigmas and kind of misconceptions, um, there's one big one that I do want to go ahead and like dive into a little bit more is the dating life <laughs> as a DACA recipient. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But another misconception and a lot of things that I've been told previously, even at 16, when you're like panicking about your status, what am I going to do? I have nothing like maybe before DACA. The simplest thing that they would tell you, and this could have been anyone that knows you, anyone that doesn't know you, is why don't you just marry a U.S. citizen? How many times, if people listening on this episode have heard this, like, go ahead and like, go like our post, go comment, tell us when and if, you know, like, how old were you when you first got told this? Because I'm thinking I was only like 15, 16, like, oh, está bien, que se case con un americano, like, she's going to be all right excuse me <laughs> like hello <laughs> no what has you have you been told that before oh for a fact i've been Dude. told numerous times since i was like 10. <laughs> 10 and i don't know if they tell you that like as a female like because we're females like it's easy to like oh just use just marry a u.s citizen do guys get told this too if you're a guy have you ever been told to just find a girl to marry like is that a thing or is it also a gender comment i don't know Mm, I think it's an everyone thing, if I'm gonna be honest. Um, because yeah, I know my my older brothers have been told the same thing. I have been told the same thing. Um, and then what is it? I joke around with my sister where I'm like, you have to get back to the community. You were the only one born here. Now it's your turn to marry someone who's undocumented. Thank you. <laughs> no I'm like, you have to give back Talia. <laughs> and my mom's like, no, she should marry someone she loves. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. She should marry someone who she loves, who is also undocumented, helping that, helping our community out. Come on, mom. Paying it forward. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God, that forward. is so funny. Um, no, but, but the re- it's a hard reality to come by. Like, especially being told at 10 years old, 15, you have a way, you just have to marry into it. Like, that's depressing. Yes, it is. That's why, like, you know, I've always been, like, adamant on, like, yeah, I joke around with my friends where I'm just, like, yeah, you know, I can marry myself a citizen. But at the same time, I'm, like, no, I don't want that to be the basis of my relationship at all. I really don't. That's why I've been, like, 
saying to my friends, I'm like, I'm not going to marry someone for papers. Like, even even if it's my last resort, I no. <laughs> like, okay, I say that now, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in general, that's why I'm an activist. That way we don't have to rely on these relationships as well for our only way out. Because that's just, like, very sad and tragic. And I've heard stories of, like, you know, being in a mentally abusive relationship where, you know, the other partner holds that over them and saying, oh, well, you married me for papers. You have to stick by me now. And I'm like, that's not the way to do things. That's not a way to do things. And it's sad, really is sad because I know there's a whole business behind this. Props to, props to anyone who finds love, go for it. <laughs> but it's just, you know, unless you can find the right person who will support you and everything like this, because it's also, it's a financial process too. You know, you don't, fully know if you're going to get accepted into a U.S. citizenship pathway because you have to go through like the paperwork, the multiple interviews, and then you might be sent back to your home country for a number of months before you can come back officially and whether or not they accept you or reject you. And I'm like, this is like a whole college application process. I don't like Worse, girl, not even. College was a lot easier. At least they didn't send you back home (laughs) until you came back. They just rejected you. That's it. That's it. Oh, no. Oh, oh no and you didn't have to pay as much because we're talking about like adjusting your status being approximately I've been told people have paid I mean and you can vary the amounts but uh the lease would have been like four thousand dollars to like eight to ten thousand dollars and that's on lawyer fees and immigration mm-hmm. fees and application fees that I'm like oh my gosh that's a whole like investment imagine just marrying someone like cutting a deal hey I'll give you this much money if you marry me which a lot of people have done that. And I've heard stories, again, people just think it's that easy to find someone and marry them and then play along until you get your paperwork, which is, I don't know if people have done this. I mean, like you said, power to them. If it worked out great, we're happy for them, but it's not what we want for mm-hmm. ourselves. But it's so crazy how common that first response comes to you every single time you tell someone, oh, I'm not from here. Oh, you just marry yourself a citizen and I'm like no that's tragic but it's expensive too like the reality of it the reality of it is is it's really expensive time consuming you're not just gonna marry a U.S. citizen wake up the next morning after your wedding day and be like woo I made it I have a green card no ma'am you have to go apply you have to take I think right now the process is taking about two years if not longer because of COVID too So it's a pretty lengthy process to sign up for if that's what you want to (laughs) do, which I don't know, to each their own, but that's hard. That's a huge misconception when dating, just dating in general, like this is going into marriage, but dating in general, like, I don't know if you've had any experiences dating anyone and having to disclose that you are a DACA recipient. Has that ever come to be? Well, I think that's where... What is it? I take pride in knowing, or not pride, but rather acknowledging my privilege that I've been able to speak openly about my story. Where like I never want to be put in a position where my significant other, you know, like I don't tell him. Like I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, shame on anyone for not telling their story. Like that's not it at all. Like, you know, you share your story whenever you feel comfortable. That's what's important. When you feel mentally like steady or like able or comfortable enough to like tell someone your story that should be you know already speaking volumes enough as it is 
for me as an activist, I, like that's why in every space that I'm in, I make sure to let everyone know. I'm like, yeah, I'm undocumented. What about it? <laughs> um, you have something to say? So, <laughs> so that's why I've been so upfront about my identity because I feel comfortable sharing my story. I feel comfortable making other people uncomfortable about not knowing the immigrant experience, like, or at least being educated about it because how else are you gonna learn if there's no discomfort in the end? Um, and I'm not saying like, you know, you should be sharing your story up front every single time. Like obviously take your time knowing who is your audience, who you're willing to engage in conversation with. With me, it's been very easy finding the right people, especially in the humanity sector, it's been a lot of fun. But <laughs> in general, like um, dating wise, I know I've heard stories too, where like, you know, like there, there was this one person who had this sibling that like they were dating someone who was undocumented, but like their mom was like, you shouldn't marry them. Like, I don't, I don't approve of this. I don't, or, you know, I've seen other situations where, you know, the person waited until like a few months into the relationship to, to explain their story. And the other partner was like, you, I feel deceived. Like, I'm like, I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> what is this? You know, it's not, it, people have to understand like telling our stories of being undocumented or DACA recipients doesn't come easily to most of us that's why we live in the shadows right because we're so afraid of like trusting people already as it is and so when finding someone romantically we get so excited that we don't want to ruin anything which makes total sense which makes total sense um I don't know what my advice would be to that and and if if I'm gonna be honest because like with myself at least I know with me I like to be upfront about things that's just me um but, you know, I also believe that, like, when you feel comfortable enough to share your story, you should do that. But only you. You can't be forced into telling your story. Like, that's the problem with so many people, that they're like, they want to hear more from you. They want to exploit your story. They want to make sure you relive, relive those memories all over again. And I'm just like, dang, chill. Do your research first. And then you can ask me personal questions. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I don't know what my advice would be to that because again, everyone functions on a different level. You know, everyone has different comfort levels and they should take pride in that. You know, you go at your own pace. You shouldn't be comparing yourself. Um, but yeah, and that's in general to dating period. Like yeah. we're talking about getting to know someone like really, like, do you really get to know someone? Like really? No, you don't. You take time and getting to know that person. So we're we're in layers shrek said it like we're in layers of like an onion so you peel each layer whenever you feel comfortable and just getting your feet wet like you're like you said in a romantic relationship with someone trying to get to know them i wouldn't recommend lying either because that's also you're getting to know someone it's going to take some time for you to get to know that person and if you're in a romantic interest with someone i personally don't recommend lying because lying will only bring in more lies. If you're lying about, maybe you just want to say, I'm not comfortable sharing, or I don't know how to avoid that question. See, it's such an uncomfortable thing to be in. I don't know because, but I just think lying makes it worse because if you're trying to be in a relationship with this person, if you're like getting to know each other, lying period is not going to be a good step into that relationship if you're already lying (laughs) from the beginning. So I, this is a really touchy subject that I, Thankfully, through my experience, like you said, I've always been comfortable with the uncomfortable and, you know, like, like, um, just taking it off the bat. Hey, this is me. This is who I am. Just sharing it doesn't mean anything to you. It may or may not, but I'm just wanting you to know this is me. 
from the beginning so that later down the road when we're like you know serious serious we don't have any disruptions because of me not saying it or not saying it when I should have which again to each their own and it's very important for you to be comfortable with sharing for you to be at a safe space mentally physically uh, and environmentally have your support system from your friends your family but this if this is a romantic interest you're looking to pursue I the only thing I can recommend or can advise is not to lie <laughs> because that's gonna you know come back to you later on so um, moving on just kind of again unpacking dating life is so hard in general but then adding on your status and how that plays into it and dude the misconception of family like once you get with someone that has papers oh yeah like yeah 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 like papeles, and it's like no mom no <laughs> or like the other side like you had your friend or whoever you knew that was told no I don't want you in that relationship like family plays a lot of pressure when it comes to dating someone who is not documented or doesn't have status and that's crazy yeah it does that's why again those trust issues come into play <laughs> unfortunately yeah. you gotta you know that's that's why you know with me I like to be upfront. I don't like, I don't like to hold back. That's the thing. Um, that way I know what I'm getting into and the other person does too. Exactly. Um, and yeah. they're able to support me if they're able to support me. Um, yep. But yeah, family, oof, especially if we're talking about Latino households, um, you got to be mindful of them. <laughs> got to be mindful. It's, it's easier said than done of saying like, oh, if I love this person, that should be enough. Like, no, it's, it's not, unfortunately. Like, like it or not, you're still going to be looking into, like, the same family values that, like, your, your parents might have told you already. Um, and you look to them for guidance if you are lucky enough to have both of your parents here or most of your family members, right? Um, and it's just, unless if you know how to avoid the situation, <laughs> it's always going to be prevalent. Always. Yeah, and it's um, uncomfortable to be in, and you just have to look past it and, and kind of try to look at the best I don't know, try to be positive about it because you're going to get comments back and like mm-hmm. back and forth, good and bad. People are always going to be talking about you and judging your relationship. Oh, did they marry for love? Did they just marry for papers? And that's going to be something that you're just going to have to learn to accept and dismiss when you need to and acknowledge when you have to as well. So that's a little bit more on that, which sorry, we couldn't offer any more advice. I don't think I have a lot of dating right. experience myself to you know, uh, talk about. I promise you, I, I'm, I'm just a same. That's it. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. I wanted to also just feature a little bit more, and this is coming in like full circle on this episode you've called yourself an activist, like from way on in the beginning. What does that mean? Ooh, an activist, activist, activist. I guess just caring and fighting for my community while also being able to take care of myself. Cause you know, how else are you gonna be able to take care of others if you don't take care of yourself first? Um, and I mean that in the least individualistic way possible. It's like, it's one of those, like you need enough energy and mental well-being and stability for you to be able to tackle on these problems or else if you try, try to tackle on all these issues without taking care of yourself, you're not going to have enough energy, right? Um, and so I'm just a strong believer that like change comes in many different ways, granted. Like if someone wants to be a politician, I'll be like, okay, okay, I'll, I can see it. But at the same time, I'm not going to rely on that person as a politician because politics takes time. 
and change doesn't come from one day to the next either. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, while I'm waiting for a policy to happen, might as well be doing other things on the ground that would benefit my community, right? Or, or like, you know, benefit the people that I'm supporting or helping out. Um, so that's what it means to be an activist for me. And then also in an academic setting, for me, at least personally, I can never separate the scholar or like the student from the activist because everything that I read, everything that I do, it has a purpose behind it. And it always ties back into my own experience, whether it be like a, a Latina or it be, you know, undocumented, a DACA recipient, whether, you know, it, it be just a woman in general. I'm like, it always ties into my intersectionalities of identities. And so, you know, this whole thing of being an activist, um, you know, I make sure that like everything that I do, it has a purpose and like it has a reason for why I'm researching this article or why I'm writing about this or how can I connect this to my passion for community work? Because I truly believe like there's power in community. You know, it's like that phrase of like, ain't no power like the power of the people because of the power of the people don't stop. That's what it is. Okay, <laughs> um, yay. Like, you know, the people united will never be divided. It's, it's one of those things where I truly believe in solidarity. And me as an activist also, I keep on learning and learning, right? Decolonizing my mindset. And also as an activist, I have to learn like the differences between what it means to be an ally versus an accomplice. And I mean that in like the best possible way ever, like an ally, at least what I've learned is like <clears throat> working within the realm of your comfort, of, of your comfort. So that means like, you know, an ally, still you hold on to those privileges because you don't want to let go of them, um, whether it is to support people or things like that. But I've gone into this new definition of what it means to be an accomplice, to be in the getaway car, to drive it away for people um, if they're trying to fight against something that they, they are passionate of, like, you know, getting rid of, right? If that makes any sense. Because, <laughs> like, you know, we have, like, obviously, like, ourselves to think about like in terms of like learning and unlearning about decolonizing our mindsets but also what does it say about when we're confronted with an older family member are we going to dismiss any homophobic comments that they're that they're making and just keep them in our lives or are we going to try and educate them or cut them out things like that you know what what does restorative justice mean to us as well as an activist as an accomplice as an ally because you know there's so many different levels um obviously not we're, we're attracted to privilege. We really are. We don't want to let go of a different position because of X, Y, and Z, or we don't want to immerse into this specific system because of ABC reasons, whatever it may be. But, you know, we have to really think to ourselves of like, what else are we doing other than like protesting or going to rallies? What else are we doing besides just reading books or watching movies about a certain issue? Are we actually being proactive in every single space that we are in? Like, are we actually, you know, are we actually like letting black voices take the platform or queer voices, you know, in a situation that, you know, they deserve to be heard? You know, are, are we backing out, letting them speak? Or are we like confronting our, you know, family members that we adore so much, but we have to have those difficult conversations with so that way they know that it's not okay to make those sort of comments. You know, activism is a really strong word. I feel like it could be really intimidating to know, like, what is an activist? How do you become an activist? You know, what's the work behind being an activist? And as you're talking about just, and I love how your picture says, I stand with immigrants. And not only in terms of, like, what's convenient to you, but convenient to everyone in a community. And I think that speaks you know, volumes to the work that you're doing, to the work that I've seen you doing. Um, talking about your platforms. 
right now you're like blowing up on TikTok. I've seen you on Instagram. Like again, your videos, you just got a scholarship put together and had funds go into that scholarship. I definitely want to close a little bit more on that because the efforts that you're doing are paying off and you're seeing them in your social media platforms. Growing that social media platform, how how's that been for you as far as like your journey as an activist, as a student, as someone who stands with immigrants, with our undocumented community, our DACA recipients, um, how's that going for you? I think overall it's been going really great if I do say so myself. Like, I haven't felt burnt out, at least here in college, because I've been able to have a support system that's been supporting me from day one, and I could forever be grateful to them, if I'm going to be honest. Um, And then aside from that, it's just you know, make just watching how, how this campus has like changed so much of like people actually trying to be educated about the issues that undocumented students have to go through. Um, mind you, we're a small school and we don't have that much of a, an undocumented population, but knowing that people are out there like looking out for us, I'm just like, that warms my heart. And it gives me hope. It gives me some hope for humanity. How about that? <laughs> um, I'm not saying everyone is perfect either. Like I'm not perfect. I'm far, far from perfect. And I'm st- I still got a lot of learning to do. That's part of like being an activist and, you know, just my platform blowing up. Like I think I've given, I think I'm, I take pride in this at least that like I've given enough reason for people to trust me because I've been honest and respectful of everything that like, you know, I do. Um, and, you know, just being respectful to people, just letting them know like where my head's at, like what I do, why I do it. Cause I don't like to BS my, myself around. Like I don't, I don't, I don't like beating around the bush. I like people knowing like, Hey, there's this issue out here. You like, I'm not saying you, you need to solve it, but you should at least be informed about it. Right. And I'm not saying like, you don't have other issues going on in your life. Like we all do, we all do. But that's why, you know, unity is very important to me that I'm like, we all have to come together to realize that, you know, instead of setting our differences aside, why not just embrace them? And I'm not saying like, you know, it, it's open for like, what's the word? What's the word for people to to start neglecting neglecting each other's experiences or like being put up against one another? Like that's what I've been saying. Like don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Like I could care less if you're a Democrat. Like I. I don't trust Democrats. <laughs> like I could care less about the political party systems. What I care about is like what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Actions speak louder than words. I care more about what you're passionate about and how we both can work together towards a common goal. That's what I care about. And if you're decent enough to treat me as a human being and vice versa, then we'll get along just fine. We can engage in conversation and I can learn from your experience. You can learn from mine without having to feel burnt out or overwhelmed like that's what I've been really appreciative of like having all these experiences from all the way from high school to here it's just been amazing it's just been amazing so yeah yay that's awesome and wishing you the best of luck with everything I know like you're putting videos all the time you're like dancing away and as you're dancing you're like highlighting different topics and I was like damn that's super cool because you have to be really creative and really passionate to like combine all of that in a content you know in a video in a TikTok um but it's so great to see like all the energy you're putting out there and how it's being uh portrayed from like outside looking in because I've seen the comments a lot of them have been thank you so much for sharing and oh my gosh me too like it makes it so relatable for someone to see you on a video and say oh my gosh me too but also I've seen the other side where you're talking and we've highlighted some of the comments that you've gotten, like the back, the backhanded comments of like, oh, 
well, why don't you just do this? Like people that are not, how do you, how have you handled that situation as far as the negativity coming from being so vocal and so open on your own platforms? Um, I think I don't give in to giving them attention. That's, that's the way that I see it. Cause that's a lot of negative energy that I don't need in my life. Um, I, tr- uh, you know, younger, like, yeah, I would have more social media fights. I didn't have a lot of them, but like, I, I would just be like irked enough to like, you know, fight against someone else who I've never seen before in my life or interacted with on social media. And then I, I took a step back. I'm like, am I really doing this? Am I really willing to do this? No. And so I focus in lo- instead of like, you know, the negativity that comes al- along with it or like people complaining about, you know, um, what is it? Just not having there be anything or stuff like that. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a person of action. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, you, we can all complain, but at the end of the day, like, what are you going to be doing about it? Do you want to do anything about it? I know I do. So like, that's my mindset. And like, not giving in to haters. Like, I'm like, I don't, I don't have time to be answering these comments. I'm just like, thank you. Have a nice day. Bye. <laughs> Come again. <laughs> I'm just going to go by my day knowing that I love myself. I love my community and my community loves me. Um, I don't need that hate. I don't need that hate. Um, what is it? There's no room for that. And so what is instead of like dwelling on it, I instead focus on the positives, right? Um, and it's the same thing like me as an activist here in the institution. Like I know there's going to be people that don't don't support me. And I know there's going to be people that are going to be questioning me and what I do. But at the end of the day, like I found out there's more people who are willing to support me rather than hindering me. Um, and I just find that to be the best part of my experience, to be honest. Um, so that's why I don't feel burnt out. That's why I feel very loved. And yeah, it's just, it's been really nice. It's been really nice. And encouraged. I think that's another thing because once you get those comments of like, thank you for doing this and oh my gosh, this is awesome. Please do more. Please don't stop doing this. You just kind of get that energy going in. Like you want to do more and you see the, the positive that is doing for your community. And that's super, super amazing. Like, thank you so much for creating such a public space because it's so public in the eyes of everyone that people can see your content, your stories, but being open and honest, something about that makes it not only relatable, not only people trust, like people can trust you, but also feel like they can engage with you and have a positive relationship, even from a screen, which is so crazy, mm-hmm. but that's how it works. And um, as we're coming into closing your episode today or this episode today, I do want to ask as we're you know focusing on DACA and here on the DACA series, I always like to ask, what is a word of advice or something you want to leave for all of our DACA recipients listening to us today? Something that you can tell them a little bit of inspiration or motivation as far as like, hey, hung, hang on tight. Like we're almost there. Like what is a message you have for everyone listening today? Hmm. Find your support system. Find your support system. I think that's my definitely go-to because they will, they will be there to help you mentally, physically, socially, to make sure that you feel loved and cared for. Um, and that way you can carry on doing the things that you love to do, whether it be just going to class, just waking up, having a coffee, you know, um, they will be there for you, your support system. Um, find people that like encourage you that are not jealous of your success. Um, and, yeah, obviously, like, take care of one another. Um, don't don't dwell on, like, 
too much on like what what the government you know wants us to be to be honest like yeah it's tough easier said than done but at the end of the day like don't focus on those those divisions focus on like what you can do to you know whether it be as an activist as a student just educate yourself educate yourself on so many things you know um and just support one another and i don't mean this just like as a as a DACA recipient but you know just in general as a regular human being you don't have to prove your worth to anyone either like you already being here is enough of, of a reason of like telling the government why you need a path to citizenship you shouldn't even be telling the government like the government ha- should already be doing this and why you deserve to go to college like don't don't exploit your story you know if you're going to share your story do it for the right reasons do it because you feel loved, do it because you know that there will be people that will be listening to you and willing to engage in the conversation with you and fight with you. That's the whole thing of like, yeah, educate yourself. You got to learn, you got to keep learning, but then what are you going to be doing? You know? Um, So yeah, just finding your support system, finding your support system and being able to focus on the things that you love to do. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. That's so important. Like when you said it at the beginning, like an activist is taking care of others, but also taking care of myself. And I think that's super important. Um, everyone can be an activist. Everyone can be, uh, an influencer and influence someone. It doesn't have to be like in social media. It doesn't have to be you telling your experience to somebody else is already influencing them on like, Hey, this is the undocu experience. This is the DACA experience. And, And it's important to relate a little bit more on who we are to humanize our stories and let everyone know like, Hey, I'm human too. You know, this is what I'm going through. So thank you so much for sharing that. And as, um, I want to leave you off with um, telling us a little bit more what's to come from you. Uh, what else can we expect on your videos? Anything that you're working on as a film major? Uh, school is starting. What's going on that you want to tell us today? Oh, boy. There's only still going to be more TikToks to come. I just need to have that creative mindset all over again. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm really pumped for what's to come in this following school year. Um, you know, it's just... Like I said, I'll, I'll keep working on myself. Y'all keep working on yourselves too. Um, I know I'm, I'm the next what is it, student body president for my school. So hey, congratulations. That's big. So, so we're starting some things. We're, we're getting things riled up. So obviously things can happen. Things can happen if you work together as a team. You never want to do things alone. Never, never, never. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else. Like Other than, you know, my, the scholarship is good to go, but other than that, just be on the lookout for Yay. for what 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 we do. <laughs> and it. where can we find you? Uh, share your social media with us so we can yeah. people listening to us can go and find you on all of your medias. Of course. So my personal Instagram account is at floor underscore Selena, and then my TikTok account is at floor Selena. <laughs> That's it. Um, do I have any other? Oh. Twitter it's at floor Selena underscore so I'm sorry for, for all those underscores y'all but um yeah if you want to follow me I love my puns so please send me anything my way I always am a big simp like I, I said earlier so my pickup lines my pickup line game is on point so if you ever fall in love and need some pickup lines I got you I got you <laughs> yeah that's um, super cool I love that that's so unique too like so random <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm a big simp. I I simp for my friends. They they can tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> even if they have boyfriends, I'm just like, or their partners in general. Um, I'm like, no, no, no. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. <laughs> let me show you Um, that's super cool so yeah everyone uh listening to this episode thank you so much for tuning in i hope this was a great episode to uncover a little bit more that we don't get to uncover on our daily conversations a lot of uh you know the things that that is it nick picks i don't know the the kinks there you go a lot of the kinks and pain points and stigmas and misconceptions of being a daca recipient and undocumented youth um so much more to come, not only for Floor, uh, wishing you the best uh, of luck with everything in school and, and work and life in general. Keep doing what you're doing, girl. You're doing amazing work and um, so much more to come on the DACA series. So stay tuned. Thank you so much, Floor, for being with me today, for sharing this space with me. I can't wait to have you back pretty soon. And I wish everyone a great rest of your night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.